Hello, Darklings, and welcome back to Once Upon a Terror. I'm your host, Adelina Hill, and I have some new content for you, uh, but we're going to do things a little bit differently today. I have with me today Chloe Spencer. She is a uh, horror writer. Pardon me. Uh, She's a horror writer, and uh, I decided to have her on the show, and she's going to talk a little bit about her upcoming book, Vicarious, um, along with... uh, how she became a writer and where she gets her inspiration along with um, uh, what else we can expect from her. And after her interview, I'm going to be reading the first chapter of this new book, Vicarious, and we will see if it is something that you would be interested in reading. And if so, I will be attaching her social media uh, links and links to access the book uh, when that comes out. Uh, and I'm planning on doing this depending on, uh, I've got uh, several other author interviews lined up for the upcoming weeks, and I was actually very shocked for this outreach. I had a couple, um, authors all from the same publishing, uh, press reach out to me, and they were like, hey, uh, we were told that by our publishing house that we would, uh, you would be a good podcast to, um, help promote our books, and I was like, I wasn't told of this. Uh, the publishing house never reached out to me, so I was just very overwhelmed and very happy to find my inbox filled with authors that just want to tell their stories. So I am here to let them do that, and I'm here to let them uh, speak their voice and let you hear their voice uh, because I feel like a lot can get lost in um just letting me talk the entire time. And granted, yes, this is my podcast. This is where I tell the stories, but I also want to let the person who wrote the story um, have their voice be heard as well. So let's start this interview with Chloe. Um, The way that I have it set up um, is it's not a live interview. Um, I was unable to uh, find a compatible uh, video Skype thing that wouldn't uh, keep it from sounding weird. So what I just decided to do was just let Chloe talk and insert her into the podcast. So you're just going to hear her talk a little bit about her book and about herself um, for a couple minutes. And then we will read a chapter of her uh, novella, Vicarious. So let's get into it once upon a time.
Hey there, my name is Chloe Spencer, and I am a game developer, filmmaker, and author of the upcoming Vicarious, which I am here to talk about today. So I think one of the first things that encouraged me to become a writer or an author is just reading. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a very obvious answer, but that is the answer that I have. Um, I was a very voracious reader at a really young age, and I really loved kind of messed up stories about messed up people. Uh, when I wasn't reading books about animals, that's what I was reading. Um, so I read a lot of the uh, Warrior series by Aaron Hunter. I read a ton of books about Ruth White and what it was like to grow up in uh, Appalachia um, and in uh, West Virginia and places like that. And those often had like a lot of themes regarding poverty and domestic violence and uh, sexual abuse. Um, which I think that Ruth's White work has definitely inf influenced me significantly. Um, and then I also read sh series like uh, Libba Bray's A Great and Terrible Beauty series for kind of this weird twisted fantasy, dark fantasy, uh, with a little bit of romanticism. And I also absolutely loved the Chronicles of Ancient Darkness series by Michelle Paver. I think that that series continues to be <laughs> a huge influence in my life. That one is about a boy who, it, it's set during the Stone Age, and it's about a boy who kind of uh, learns that he has these amazing kind of powers, and there's all kinds of things going on with like his family and like familial trauma. Um, and generational trauma and unpacking things like that. And that is definitely one of the series that I most fondly look back on from when I was a kid. In terms of where I get my inspiration from, I tend to get inspired most by music pieces. Um, I also get inspired from the other things that I read and write. I would also say that a lot of my work is influenced by my own life. Um, and influenced by things that I went through. So if I'm trying to unpack uh, trauma in a in um, through writing, uh, trauma or something that I have gone through, I try to unpack that when I'm writing a book. Um, so I think that I'm also really interested in really messy, complicated, and at times toxic relationships. Really interested in exploring the idea of toxic love. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I definitely, uh, borrow, uh, that from, like, the media that I watch and from other things that, um, I've lived through myself. So, Vicarious is an adult sapphic horror novella that borrows inspiration from extreme horror books such as Christopher Triana's Full Brutal, as well as political thrillers like House of Cards. It centers on Gertie, who is a widowed mother to June, an overachieving girl who is in her junior year of high school. And June is a star student in every way, shape, and form. And her mother basically lives vicariously through her. She thrives on June's success. Gertie is also the president, uh, the PTA president of her daughter's elite private school. And she's this cutthroat leader who will often stoop to these super low levels in order to prevent challengers from usurping her throne. She'll hire private investigators, for example, to ruin the lives of her competitors. And the reason why Gertie can afford to do this for like each and every single one of them is that she's quite rich. 
And why is she quite rich? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) So the reason why Gertie's rich is because of her husband's death. Gertie's husband, Jack, uh, on their anniversary, essentially choked to death on a piece of glass at a restaurant that had been improperly issued a couple of permits and really shouldn't have been operating as a business. And Gertie ends up winning this lawsuit against the restaurant in the city and with the help of a financial advisor is able to invest this money so that she doesn't have to work for the rest of her life and her and her daughter will want for nothing. But the thing is that money can't replace what Gertie has lost. Jack was not just her soulmate and the father of her child, he was also her savior. And to understand why Jack was her savior, we're going to have to go back a little further. So, Gertie. Gertie's parents. (laughs) Gertie's father uh, was negligent and her mother was at best neurotic. Gertie's mother had this fascination with true crime and would tell her daughter these ridiculously scary stories, like things that you should absolutely not be repeating to children, she was telling her daughter. One of her mother's big things was that Gertie could not go to the bathroom alone ever, even in the comfort of their own house, because if she did, a strange man was going to go into the bathroom and assault her. And it was going to be like, the bathroom is like this super easy place for someone to come in and assault her. It's completely bonkers behavior. It's just completely unusual. And when her mother died, Gertie no longer had anybody to accompany her to the bathroom. So as a child, she felt extremely unsafe in going there. Um, And this led to her having accidents in class, and she was the target of many, many bullies. And one of these bullies was this girl named Beatrice, or B. Now, B used to follow Gertie to the bathroom whenever she could to find ways to freak her out. So that meant, like, flickering the lights, dumping trash on her when she was sitting in the stall, just the most awful freaking things that you can think of. B was there to do it. And Gertie, in turn, had to learn how to avoid B. But one day, their conflict comes to this very nasty and confusing and very strange uh, kind of climax. B assaults Gertie in the bathroom, and she manages to escape with the help of Jack. Now, back in present day, uh, Gertie's stressing. She's stressing because her daughter, June, is going to graduate soon. And after that, Gertie can no longer serve as the PTA president. But she discovers there's a position opening on the school board. So she logically concludes that this is like her next best step for advancing her career and obtaining more power. She's been thinking too small all these years, and now it's time to really go for it. But one night... Gertie goes to pick up takeout for her in June, and who does she run into but B? What? <laughs> so B, Gertie thought that B had been expelled from their school all those years ago, and she thought that B and her family had moved away because basically Jack had uh, tried in helping Gertie. Uh, they had basically reported uh, B to the principal, and B was never seen at school again. But uh, B explains that she's gotten a divorce. She's now, um, she now has two kids. And she says that she is, has moved back home to live with her parents while she's trying to get back up on her feet. And B explains that she owes Gertie an apology. And so she asks her to coffee. And Gertie basically only agrees because she wants to see this woman grovel. <laughs> She is just fully prepared for this woman to just grovel in front of her, and she is gearing up for it. She's very excited. 
Uh, but when Gertie gets to this coffee shop and sits down with B, she's not met with grovel- groveling or even an apology. Uh, B never utters the words, I'm sorry. Instead, B just tries to explain why she spent so much time torturing her over the years and why she tried to assault Gertie in the bathroom. And B explains that she was um, sexually abused as a child. She was a survivor um, of incest. And she explains that after having been subjected to this kind of torture for years and years, it led to her having some twisted views on relationships, uh, love, and desire. And this is when Gertie learns that the girl who tortured her mercilessly and traumatized her is actually in love with her. And be, and this this just pisses Gertie the hell off because for one she was supposed to be given an apology for two B is not acknowledging the ways in which she has traumatized Gertie to this day, um, and three just Gertie just does <laughs> Gertie just hates her en- enemies, um, but instead like to to go to go to this coffee shop expecting an apology from someone who's horrendously wronged you, um, and then discovers a love confession uh, that just throws her for a loop. But then as she sits and continues to talk to B, she realizes, wait a minute, B is still attracted to her. In terms of what you can expect from me after Vicarious, there's a lot. Uh, there are two books right now that are going to be released within the next year um, after Vicarious. One of those is called Mewing, and that is a horror novella releasing with shortwave books in February of 2024. And that centers on a uh, small-time Instagram influencer that essentially joins this bigger house of influencers that happen to be consorting with a demon in order to make their dreams come true um, and find their financial and career success. And then later, like way later in 2024, in October 2024, I'm going to have my second YA novel release. It is a paranormal murder mystery romance set in like a alternative fantasy version of Earth. And it centers on this girl named Melody, who is a ghost hunter. And she has to team up with this musically talented ghost named Cyrus in order to um, essentially figure out who's responsible for the deaths of all these kids in this small island town. So it's a really great, uh, it's a really great story if you're a fan of things like Danny Phantom, if you loved Ghostbusters, if you really loved um, Omori, like the video game Omori, that's also a really big, (laughs) that's also a really big inspiration for it. So there's a lot to love about that one and I'm very excited for it. I'm very excited for both of them. Thank you so much, Chloe. You sound like you have your hand, hands full with everything that you're doing. Um, so everybody keep an eye out for uh, her new books, uh, her current book, um, previous works, everything like that. Um, I love that she got uh, inspiration from uh, Appalachia. I, I'm just going to pride myself a little bit. Uh, being from West Virginia, born and raised, uh, go Mountaineers. So I am very happy um, to find somebody that loves uh, Appalachian culture and just the mountains in general. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. All right. Okay. Enough, enough of uh, the splurging. Um, let's, let's get into the story, uh, the first chapter of Vicarious.
content warning. Vicarious contains graphic depictions of violence, gore, blood, including menstrual blood, death, including animal death, mentions of domestic violence, depictions of stalking and attempted sexual assault, discussions of child sexual abuse, car crashes, fat phobia, homophobia, and use of homophobic slurs, vomit, and consensual BDSM and edge play. Listener's discretion is advised. If this is not for you, please discontinue listening. Since she was small, going to the bathroom alone made Gertie Taylor fraught with anxiety. Her father had blamed her mother for this. The woman never let Gertie have a moment of peace and had accompanied her to the restroom. It became normal for Gertie to have someone with her during every mundane bowel movement. But after her mother's passing, the security she had experienced crumbled violently all at once. Her neglectful father refused to accompany her to the restroom, insisting that she was old enough to go by herself. Gertie did try. She had to. And when she was at home, she grew more comfortable with it. But to Gertie, public restrooms were full of strangers looking around corners, hiding on top of toilets, watching her through the slits in the stall doors. Her mother, a true crime fanatic, told her that predators loved to hide in bathrooms and had insisted that this was why women should never go to the restroom alone. All it takes is for one lone wolf to follow you in, Lamb Chop, her mother had said as she reapplied her lipstick in the mirror. But after that, you'll have to hope someone will hear you scream. No matter how occupied the bathroom was, Gertie always looked for figures hidden away in the shallowest of shadows. The eyes of the others were red-hot candles, and Gertie was the wax that burned beneath their gaze. Someone, and she didn't know who, was waiting for the perfect moment to catch her off guard and commit some sort of heinous crime. What kind of crime? She never knew. Her mother never explained that part, just that it had something to do with her quote-unquote privates. Forced visits to the restroom alone left her with panic attacks that left her unable to cope. After her mother's passing, school administrators took pity on her and assigned an aide, often another student, to accompany her. After her behaviors didn't improve, however, she was sent to the school guidance counselor once a week. This did not bode well for her image among peers, and so she began began the name-calling. Despite these administrative interventions, her anxiety didn't dissolve. And, on occasion, it led to her having accidents in class. Too many times, she would stand up with quivering lips, piss dripping down her legs, asking someone to take her to the nurse's office for a change of clothes. Her social incompetence, along with her dorky appearance, oversized glasses, knobby knees, and a baby plump body, made her a delicious target for bullies, and Beatrice Robinson was by far the worst of them. Strawberry blonde, petite, and pretty-faced, B was quickly welcomed by the throngs of popular girls only to later usurp them and become the head bitch herself. From the time she transferred to their school in the third grade, B made a habit of following Gertie into the bathroom. The taunting started out harmless enough. Gertie would muster the courage to go inside, and when she exited, she'd find a sink was running, as if a ghost had turned it on. It escalated to doors slamming when she was inside a stall, to rain showers of suspiciously dirty clumps of toilet paper, to flashes of cell phone cameras flickering outside the stall. Contrary to what her mother had warned her, strange men wouldn't be the one to terrorize Gertie in the restroom. It was a preteen girl. 
When Gertie knew she was absolutely being watched, her fear morphed into a beast that consumed her entire daily routine. The anxiety and depression that consumed her during this era left her wishing for death. But little lamb that she was, Gertie could never inflict harm on herself that could do any damage. Her suicide ideation was strong, but just as you need a will to live, you need a will to die. This left her with no choice but to adapt. The older she got, the more strategic she was with reducing the need to use the bathroom. She drank a limited amount of liquids, ate small meals that were low in fiber, and on occasion wore extra strength pads for added protection. She studied Bee's behaviors, learned what times her classes were out at recess, gym, or in the cafeteria. Any method she could use to reduce Bee's opportunities to terrorize her was worth it in the long run. And for a number of years, this worked until she got her period in the seventh grade. The damn thing was too unpredictable for her to keep up with. And to make matters worse, her horrendous cramps inspired spontaneous, disgusting shits that even the thickest and diaper-like of pads could not hope to contain. Not that she had tried, or would publicly admit to trying, so once a month, B got her opportunity to wreak havoc. No matter how sneaky she could be, B would always come trapezing after her, her little sing-song voice calling out her name, Gertrude, Bill trilled, stepping into the restroom. You know better than to run from me by now. Gertie sighed on the other side of the stall. She quickly finished changing out her pad and attempted to open the door, but B pushed her back, almost tripping her over the toilet. She reached into her jeans pocket and withdrew a pair of plastic gloves, snapping them on with a wicked smile. Stop it, Gertie stammered, attempting to stand. I have to wash my hands. B threw the door shut behind her, locking the two of them within the stall. There was a malicious glint in her silver eyes, one that sent Gertie's knees into a violent tremble. She spread her arms wide and pressed her hands on either side of the stall to stop her prey from escaping. If you don't let me out, I'll touch you, Gertie threatened, lifting her hands up. You don't gross me out, Gertie, B leaned in close. I already know how disgusting you are. Lunch is going to be over in five minutes. One of Bee's hands snapped forward and tried to yank down Gertie's skirt. Squealing, Gertie stumbled backwards, her ass falling onto the toilet seat. She held up her arms to deflect Bee's attack, but the girl snaked through the gap in her defense, gripping her hair and slamming it back against the dirty tile wall. Pain exploded in Gertie's head, and she stifled a sob. With her free hand, Bee reached from the wall mountain trash can. Unfortunately for Gertie, their lunch was the last of the day, which meant things were filled to the brim with waltz tampons, wrappers, and other unmentionables. A sinking sense of dread washed over Gertie as she began to cry, but the louder she was, the harder B would wail on her. While B clearly had the upper hand, there was something off. Her expression was as hard as it ever was, but she kept gnawing on her lip, like she was nervous. Blood dripped down Gertie's sweaty forehead as she waited with bated breath for what B was about to say. Show me. Show you, Gertie repeated the words, hot like sparks against her tongue. What are you talking about? I just want to see it. Her voice was unusually soft as she spoke, the tone of voice that Romeo would have used when calling to Juliet on her balcony. B brushed back a stray raven curl of Gertie's with an odd tenderness, but no matter how sweet a gesture, it made Gertie's stomach turn sour when she realized what B was really asking for. No, Gertie choked. Let me out, or I'll scream. Scream. 
and worse shit will happen. B snapped, and then she lowered her voice again, coaxing her. I won't touch it unless you want me to. I just want to see it. I'm on my period, Beatrice. Why would you... Gertie stopped, realizing it was impossible to negotiate with a sociopath. She had to be careful when talking to B. She was nasty enough to willfully misinterpret things. She didn't want B to touch her, period or not. You're fucking gross. B's eyes widened with shock, wounded by Gertie's words. Malicious giggles erupted from her mouth. That softness left her posture and her gaze as she cracked her neck in a sickening way. She reached for the reptile again and thrusted her glove hand inside in which she grabbed a single blood-soaked tampon and held it high above her head. When she brought her reeking fist down, Gertie screamed for help, twisting her head from side to side. From her vantage point on the toilet seat, she couldn't get enough leverage to do any damage. Kicking did nothing but push her back against the stall door, and B would easily recover and come at her again. The strongest girl wrenched her mouth open and shoved the vulgar, steaming contents inside. Gertie choked and sputtered as a rancid copper taste saturated her tongue, and her stomach pulsated violently in response. She vomited on B, who screamed and stumbled backwards out of the stall. On shaking knees, Gertie attempted to flee the restroom, sobbing and spitting the vile garbage from her mouth. B turned on the sink and tried to clean the puke off her shirt. Hello? A boy's voice shouted into the restroom. Is everything okay? H help! Gertie sobbed, arms crawling towards the exit. Her fingers scraped the discolored caulk between the floor tiles, thick and blubbery, like steak gristle as she dragged herself along. Help me! For the longest time, Gertie had envisioned a white knight coming to her rescue, and amazingly, on the most traumatic of days, he arrived. Jack Burns, lanky, athletic, and sun-kissed from too many afternoons playing soccer. He stumbled into the room and saw Gertie sprawled out across the floor, with a wide-eyed bee hovered in the back, the bottom half of her puke-stained shirt stained through. Confused but determined, he rushed to Gertie's aid. The girl sobbed as he helped her to her feet, and it was only then that she realized how bruised she was from trying to fight off Bee's attacks. Frozen to her spot, Bee remained silent, scrubbing the same vomit stain over and over again. Through sobs and nasty belches, Gertie explained to her savior what had happened. It's not true, Bee snapped. She's crazy! Jack stared back in disgust. Then why are you wearing gloves? Bee glanced at the damp plastic wrapped around her hands. She didn't respond. Jack called for help, and after what felt like forever, a few cafeteria attendants came to their aid. The incident led to Bee's expulsion from the school, and in an odd twist of fate, the start of Gertie's romance with Jack. As a nerd, she had often written off jocks as slovenly airheads, but when he accompanied her to the nurse's office that day, he challenged every preconceived notion she had. He listened to her cry about Bee's bullying, watched her wash the bile from her mouth, and held her hand while they waited for her dad to arrive. When she worked up the courage to return to school a few days later, he brought her the homework she missed and five fresh-cut daisies from his mother's garden, a miniature bouquet that signified his oath to keep what happened that day a secret, to spare her from further shame and humiliation. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Chloe, for allowing me to read uh, the beginning of Vicarious. I am very interested in continuing to read it, so I actually have an ARC e-copy, so I'm um, 
gonna get off here and uh, maybe go do that. Uh, so if you are interested in Vicarious, I have links in the show notes uh, to uh, for how to access her work. Um, uh, I'm 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 very very eager to see what else that she uh, what else that she does. I I love her writing. Um, I'm going. I will. I am going to say this. This is a bit of explicit content for um, a coming back episode, um, uh, but that is forewarned. Um, this is what I would categorize as what is called splatterpunk. It is not your typical um, horror um, that you uh, see or hear about. It is much more gory. It is much more graphic. It is much more um, detailed. Um, and that is why it is basically in its own category and why there is a content warning. Um, so if you, uh, if this isn't for you, then it's not for you. It's not for everyone. It does take quite of a stomach to be able to, uh, uh, handle horror like this, but if it is your vibe, this is my vibe. I can read anything from light horror to stuff like this. Um, any time of day and I'm not this is not me um bashing down on Chloe this is just the category of work that this lies in and it, it's dark it's 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 dark it's scary and I think I just saw a mouse in my room and that is not one that's in my cage so I'm gonna go handle that because something just moved in my closet and that is not the kind of horror story that I want to start talking about today so um check out the links in my social uh follow the podcast at once upon a terror um on instagram if you have uh if you would like your work to be on the show uh please contact uh me at once upon a terror at outlook.com or you can dm me on the instagram's page at once upon a terror for the uh for instagram um so uh enjoy your evening darklings i hope you sleep well if you are listening to this at night and if you're not enjoy your day and you can listen to my other episodes or i am just rambling now but i really do not care um so and enjoy your evening your morning your day your night happy halloween i don't know halloween's coming up we have less than 100 days so i am psyched for that that totally means you need to bring out your halloween decorations all right Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.